nerds. It's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching badass rockabilly track. ANS protocol is active. Now designing web shooters. Time to save the world with some wrestling. Video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's show, we're going to be breaking down the fifth episode of Hawkeye. And we also have a review for Netflix's Super Crooks. Plus, winter is finally here at AEW with their annual TV special, Winter is Coming. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. All right, this week, we're going to be playing some catch-up with a few stories and trailers from this week and last week uh, because we had all those technical issues. So let's get right on into it. First up, Marvel and Sony are planning a crossover movie for Tom Holland's Spider-Man. So yes, Sony Pictures chair Tom Rothman revealed this news in an interview with ComicBook.com where he's quoted as saying, it's reciprocal so we lend one and they lend one and that's how benedict cumberbatch is in this movie referring to spider-man no way home obviously uh Robin then further explained so we have one more lend back that's committed but the one thing i can say and which i think is the actual scoop is the two companies have a terrific working relationship and i think it's a mutual hope that that would continue but there really isn't any definitive uh, at this moment, because the truth of the matter is, we gotta ride this Spider-Man No Way Home to see what happens. So it sounds like he's saying that the agreed upon deal is that, you know, Spider-Man Tom Holland will pop up in another MCU film in the near future. And while there's nothing like definitive on paper right now, the plan is to continue the relationship into the future. I mean, this all tracks. I don't know if you remember just a couple weeks ago, Sony kind of walked back producer Amy Pascal's comments that, you know, Marvel and Sony were already working together on another trilogy uh, with Holland as, you know, Spider-Man. After that, you know, uh, Hollywood insiders were quick to point out that, you know, nothing was official and they didn't have anything on paper yet. But they do fortunately have a very good working relationship. So it seems like it's more of a case of, you know, not you know, if it's gonna happen, but more of like when and how it's gonna happen, which is good news for all of us. But with a weird quote like that, I'm wondering if that could even, you know, eventually lead to something where they expand further than just, you know, Spider-Man and X, you know, Marvel character. Maybe it could be, you know, like, cause I'm getting the vibe that like, oh, we're giving you Venom next. So maybe we will use, you know, whatever other character that we'd like to have over on our side. I don't know if they want to play around with that some more, if that could possibly expand to something more. I doubt it, but I it, think it'd be interesting. Though they see Spider-Man No Way Home as their film, that Doctor Strange is crossing over huh. to their film, where like, gotcha. I think, you know, fans like us, we just consider Spider-Man No Way Home an MCU film. We're like, yes. no, this is this is a Sony <laughs> film that happens to have MCU characters in it. So it, it's a little confusing, you know, especially that quote is horrible, you know, and I have to just uh -huh. stop reading quotes now and stories because <laughs> it feels like barely anyone speaks English anymore on these podcasts or whatever. 
just reading verbatim is just horrible. Um, so, you know, I'll just have to just do summaries. But yeah, no, I, I think that's kind of what he was saying was like, okay, well, since Doctor Strange was in this movie, MCU, the MCU lent him to us. We now have to lend Spider-Man to them for one of their films. Um, yes. But I don't know. I guess that's what he was saying. So <laughs> it all sounds nice and mutual, but I, I imagine Disney has just got like a big collar around them and saying, we want Spider-Man today. Um, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, around Sony. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you would think that, you know, Sony would bend over backwards to continue working exactly. with, you know, the MCU and Disney, because I mean, it just, you know, multiplies their, you know, profits tenfold, honestly, because what are those amazing Spider-Man films do? I don't think they were that impressive. No, I mean, that was not the main reason because two yeah. bombed and then that's why they didn't make a third one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. Um, I don't know. I'm still waiting for the day that Disney just tries to buy them, you know, just to get Spider-Man underneath their umbrella so they don't have to deal with anyone's bullshit, you know, or they just buy Sony. <laughs> <laughs> well, up next, Killmonger returns to the MCU. So, yes, according to a report from Screen Geek, Killmonger will return in the Black Panther sequel, Wakanda Forever, in the ancestral plane, serving as a mentor to a young hero. Uh, which at this point I'm guessing is probably Shuri. So Christian, I don't know if you remember, but when Black Panther initially came out, we were both discussing this possibility on the show because we were so disappointed in the fact that they chose to kill off Killmonger uh, because he was such an awesome character. So it just kind of felt like a waste to us. Uh, but we were talking like one way they could kind of continue that character on throughout, you know, the series was by having him visit uh, T'Challa through the ancestral plane. It would just be a great way to carry on that character's legacy. Uh, and T'Challa could be getting like his unique perspective still. And you'd have that dynamic between the characters like live on. I mean, it would be almost like Killmonger becomes T'Challa's Obi-Wan, um, you know, with a little bit more of an edge, obviously. But it seems like they're going to be going that route with Shuri now. It's just going to be interesting, like, how they're going to explain T'Challa not being on the ancestral plane um, for obvious reasons, unfortunately. Like, unless they have a real creative way of dealing with his absence in the film. I mean, an easy way to avoid, like, having to deal with multiple people in the astral plane, because, I mean, at that point, yeah, we're going to be questioning why isn't there some form of T'Challa around. When Killmonger went to the ancestral plane for the first time, or had his, like, transformation, he saw his, like, father and stuff like that, and maybe it could be a situational thing. You know, I, I, I mean, I'm booking it for them. It's it's whatever they want to <laughs> do, but it could be a situational thing where she's maybe sure he's going down a dark path, and then she gets a vision from uh killmonger instead of seeing t'challa and it could be like a good twist there no that works you're right because it's not like when t'challa went to the ancestral plane like he met all the black panthers all at once yes. he just you know saw the you know his father the black panther he needed you know to talk to for guidance at that point so exactly i mean maybe you know that's their way around of not having t'challa you know on the ancestral plane now, it could also be, you know, some multiverse stuff. He could just show up again at some point from another That's universe. That's true. That is true. So, <laughs> or could it be something where, you know, T'Challa's not necessarily dead in the film, you know, in the mm. MCU. Like maybe the character's lost and, 
you know, his family feels like they have to move on and, you know, pass the mantle down of the Black Panther just so, to someone else. Um, because I, mean, I don't think anyone wants to deal with, you know, witnessing that character pass away on screen. So, like, could they kind of write around it where he's just, like, lost on a mission or something like that? They don't know where he is, and now they're just kind of assuming, you know, he's dead, so they have to move on. Um, and that way you kind of, like, leave the door open, too, if they do mm -hmm. want to eventually, like, recast the character. And I know Marvel has said that they don't want to do that, but there's definitely a lot of people who believe that the character you know, means so much to everyone that the character does need to live on. I think actually uh, Chadwick's brother came out this week, you know, really, you know, saying those same sentiments. Like if it were me, I would have them do something similar to what they did with Leia in The Last Jedi, where, you know, she got injured and then she was just off screen for quite a while. And then you could bring, a, then maybe that's how you recast someone and bring them back yeah, in. If they choose but, to do that, you know, I understand why if they choose. it's, you know, a sensitive subject and everything, mm -hmm. why Marvel's really hesitant in doing something like that. But... It just feels like Chadwick, and obviously I don't know the guy personally, would want the character to move on, to live on. Mm -hmm. um, just knowing its importance, you know, it just seems like like knowing the kind of person Chadwick was, you know, and I obviously don't know him personally. Maybe he'd be like, no, fuck mm -hmm. that. <laughs> but it just feels like he would want the character to live on, you know, uh, you know, realizing how the importance of the character's legacy. So I wasn't really surprised when, you know, that story came out about his brother, you know, really back. Because I think there's like some kind of petition or something going around right now mm -hmm. about recasting the character. I And I, I think maybe like this film, it's like too soon. But like somewhere down the line, I could see that happening. Um, but I don't know. We'll have to see. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I don't envy Marvel at all. It's, it's a tough decision, you know, to have to make. I mean, I feel so exactly. bad I for mean, Ryan Coogler. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. But obviously they had something in mind for that film because that I mean, otherwise you would think they would scrap it or push it further back. No, uh, absolutely. And Coogler's so talented that I'm sure he'll find like a fitting way to like honor Chadwick, but like push the story forward. Also in a story from last week, Shang-Chi sequel confirmed along with a new MCU Disney Plus series in the works as well. So, Dustine Daniel Creighton has inked a new overall deal with Marvel Studios and Hulu's Onyx Collective, and part of the deal is developing not only the theatrical sequel to Shang-Chi, but also a Disney Plus series, presumably spinning out of the events of the movie. Uh, this is no huge surprise since Shang-Chi was both a financial and critical success. Uh, I just recently rewatched it on Disney Plus, and honestly, I think I enjoyed it even more the second time. Uh, I'm definitely curious to see like what the series on Disney Plus is going to be about. But if I had to guess, it probably would be that rumored uh, Zaling uh, Ten Ring show that uh, we've been hearing about. Although it is being reported now that the series is going to be a comedy. So, I mean, if it ties into Shang-Chi, it could possibly be something starring like Ben, ben Kingsley's character. 
or maybe Aquafina. I mean, no matter what they give us, I'm excited for more Shang-Chi to show up anyway. I, I want more of that universe building with inside the MCU at this point. Absolutely. And the, with the way the film ended, I'm wondering if Shang-Chi is going to end up popping up in the uh, next Doctor Strange film. But that film already feels super like bloated with the amount of stuff that they have going on. But we said that about Spider-Man too, and I have no idea what that film's gonna do. <laughs> we'll talk more about that, I guess, next week, I right? I mean, Endgame was a huge success. So, I mean, yes, Foggy's pulled it off in the past. Over on the DC side of things, a Gotham Knights series is in development over at CW. So it was announced that the network is developing a Gotham Knights series that will follow Bruce Wayne's son as he teams up with children of various Batman villains following Batman's murder. Uh, the series is not an official Batwoman spinoff, even though it has a lot of the creative people behind that series working on it. Nor is it connected to the game project going by the same name. Now, we did get an official synopsis. Uh, it reads, in the wake of Bruce Wayne's murder, his rebellious adopted son forges an unlikely alliance with the children of Batman's enemies when they are all framed for killing the Cape Crusader. And as the city's most wanted criminals, this renegade band of misfits must fight to clear their names. But in a Gotham with no dark night to protect it, the city descends into the most dangerous it's ever been. However, hope comes in the most unexpected places as this team of mismatched fugitives will become its next generation of saviors. So I know we don't usually cover Belantes like DC shows, but I did think this actually sounded like an interesting concept. Uh, so I might actually check this out. I don't know. What do you think, Christian? Yeah, I'm actually thinking the same thing. Like on paper, this sounds pretty interesting. I'm just not sold by it being on the CW. Like where I, I don't remember what channel like Gotham was on Fox, but that show well, it was Fox. Yeah. That show took some dark, interesting twists here and there that you know caught my interest, but I ended up not liking the show in the end either way. Mm -hmm. So I just I don't I don't know if Batman's ready for TV yet or what what they're you know doing over there. On Why DC, are you lying but... to the people? You have a giant fish Mooney tattoo, dude. <laughs> you love yourself some fish Mooney. <laughs> nah, man. That was awful. Uh, um, you know, I'm with you. Like, I enjoyed Gotham at first, but then, yeah. Now, mm -hmm. After, I think, like, really midway through the second season, I dropped it because it just, exactly. it, I don't know, it just went off the rails quickly for me. Personally, the CW shows have never really done much for me. Now, I was a big fan of Smallville mm -hmm. back in the day, actually. And, like, I stuck with that series, like, for the last, like, couple seasons. And trust me, those were tough watches. But, like, those first, like, <laughs> three or four seasons, I really loved the series. Um, you didn't like the Lois Lane oh stuff? Oh, my God, man? no. <laughs> no. Um, it, you know, it, it was when the show, like, got too big for its britches. And, sh you know, uh -huh. we started having, like, costume heroes show up. And they kind of got away from, like, the Lex and, you know, Clark, you know, dynamic. I'm getting way too in the woods with Smallville but <laughs> but you know it, it did lose me I just I've never felt the same way about these other CW shows that I did about Smallville and I'm not even sure if Belanti mm -hmm. was like part of Smallville if he uh, produced the that show I've watched a couple episodes of Green Arrow in the past and it was okay but like their version of Deathstroke man was it was just i don't know <laughs> didn't work for me to say I, the least and then like the same with the flash like i got into a couple episodes mm -hmm. but you know after a while it just it, i don't know it always feels like they have that like you know last couple of seasons of smallville problem where they're just i don't they just feel under budget is what i'm trying mm -hmm. to like beat around the bush and say here 
Um, they always feel like they're on like the cheaper side of the spectrum when it comes to like the superhero genre um, currently. I just wish they would pump a little more money into those shows because they do well. I mean, Jesus Christ, like Green Arrow was on for how many seasons? Same with Flash. I just wish they would invest more money into those shows. And I'm sure part of the appeal to the CW is they can make those shows on the cheap, you know, and, you know, still like garner a huge fan base. Um, I know Blanty is doing work for HBO Max with some upcoming shows. So I'm really interested to see like what he can do with a bigger budget. Cause I'm assuming those shows will have a bigger budget. Cause I feel like he's behind uh, the Green Lantern show. You know, along with J.J. Oh, uh, okay. Abrams. I could be wrong, but I believe that... I, I believe we reported that in the past. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no. I, You know, and I mean no offense to, you know, all the CW fans out there. But yeah, just not for me. I mean, to be fair, the, some of the stuff I've been seeing posted from the recent episodes of Flash, uh, you're, you're right on the money with your comments. <laughs> so, <laughs> But now back to Gotham Knights. The, the whole premise sounds great. It's, it's creative and it's different. So that's why I want to, like, check it out. Um, so, so maybe it's the show that ends up hooking me and I become a huge CW fan but I won't lie Christian I did used to love me some Dawson's Creek so you know who am I to judge you right? don't want to wait huh? <laughs> I don't want to wait love that Pacey <laughs> um, <sighs> Superman's supposed to be great that Superman show is it Lois and Clark? Is it called I, Lois and Clark? I don't think it's Lois and Clark. That's I think the it's old show. That's the show Superman from the 90s, Lewis? right? Yeah. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. I, I might check that out. I hear about things. I, I'm just not interested <laughs> <laughs> in a Superman story ever. So There's so much me. content out there nowadays. So unfortunately, my fucking computer sucks. So last week's episode had to be kind of a glorified clip show. But because of that, we ended up missing out on the new trailer for the Into the Spider-Verse sequel, which is titled Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. That's right, part one. I missed you too. Okay, so what are you doing here? I I mean, I I thought I'd never see you again. Wanna get out of here? I'm grounded. Bummer. What? Is Spider-Man grounded? So this trailer was definitely more of the uh, teaser variety, if you will. But it was, it was different because it was almost like a full scene of the movie, which I thought was interesting. We have uh, Spider-Gwen popping up through a portal in Miles' room back at his home. Uh, apparently he lives in a dorm now, but for some reason he's at his house grounded. Um, Miles looks older, so I'm guessing at least a couple years have passed. Um, you know, uh, he's definitely startled to see Gwen, so obviously he doesn't get to visit her all the time. Um, she mm-hmm. seems to be there with, you know, purpose. She tries to get him to come join her on some sort of mission but he then lets her know that he's grounded. So <laughs> I don't know exactly how many years have passed at this point. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that he's still getting grounded. But yeah, uh, then she, of course, asks, you know, will a Spider-Man grounded? And, you know, that he goes shoot out the window. But after that, uh, it transitions to a scene of him falling through the multiverse, it seems like. Uh, he's got a brand new, like, costume on. Uh, the animation style changes. It feels very almost, like, graffiti-like. I don't know if you got that vibe. 
from it. Mm. Uh, and then we see him meet up with Spider-Man 2099, which, uh, you know, made a, a brief appearance in the last film at the end. So we know that that character is going to be voiced by Oscar Isaacs. It kind of seems like they're swinging around through maybe different dimensions. Spider-Man 2099 has like, I don't know if you caught this, like some kind of gauntlet on, it seems like. Yeah, it, it definitely looked like it was counting down, like there was a time element to it, at least. Yeah, so it. it's probably whatever, you know, device it is, he's using it to jump into these different, like, you know, multiverses. So, um, mm. we really have no clue what the story is going to be. It's definitely another multiverse tale, though. Um, so I've never been a huge Spider-Man 2099 fan. Um honestly i always kind of found miguel kind of boring <laughs> uh slot actually did a really good job with the character recently i believe like four or five years ago he brought him into like uh the 616 universe uh it, i don't know it, it, and it was a like spider-verse story so um mm. i i doubt it's gonna have anything to do with like this story and where they're going here but um, I mean, Oscar Isaac is a great actor, so I'm sure he'll find a way to make the character more interesting. And, you know, who the fuck am I, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just, I think for me, the character, you know, is such a product of the 90s. Like, he's kind of like all like flash and no like substance, at least in his original book. That's how I felt about it, at least. Um, so I never really got into them. I mean, at the time, there was a whole like 2099 like line of comics. We have like an X-Men book. There was a Punisher book. There was a Doctor Doom book. It was a moment of time where Marvel was just overproducing books. Like collectors were going crazy trying to find like the next gimmick cover. You know, it was all about like holograms and fucking foil covers mm -hmm. and shit like that. So... Right or wrong, I always kind of lump the whole like 2099 like line into that whole like early 90s, like, you know, big comic book, you know, explosion that ended up almost bankrupting Marvel or actually did bankrupt Marvel. So um, I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm so bitter about the character. <laughs> but enough of my rants. Christian, your thoughts. I mean, I agree. I, I always thought the character was super flashy looking and that's I was I, it caught my eye as a younger person, but I didn't get into the character ever. Mm -hmm. Like, it never seemed interesting going beyond that. Slot did a good job of making you actually care about the character, like giving him a real personality. Uh, I believe it was mm -hmm. Slot. Uh, but yeah, no, he, he's, he's never really done much for me. As far as the trailer goes, I mean, I'm excited for it no matter what. I mean, I thought the animation was very cool, especially during that moment where they're clearly transported into another, like, almost frame rate it yeah. seems when they get to another uh like universe so i definitely like i want to see how much they're going to play with the animation style this time around especially since they did so many crazy things in the first movie i mean they broke tons of rules but it ended up paying off i mean they won a fucking oscar for crying out loud i mean listen lord and miller got me to care about spider ham so i'm sure they're going to work wonders <laughs> with spider-man 2099 so speaking of which is it spider-man 2099 or spider-man 2099 i don't know man i've always said 2099 i, I don't know how other people I think read back it back in the day <laughs> when the books came out we were saying 2099 but now like actually like living in the century like <laughs> uh -huh. we say 2099 so i don't know we'll see
Get with the time, Tramps. Well, it took us forever <laughs> to figure out how to say Shang-Chi, so. So while, like, this trailer looked fantastic and I'm excited for this film, I do kind of wish this was just a straight, like, Miles story, though. I just feel like Miles is such an amazing character that he doesn't need the whole multiverse gimmick to, you know, get people to go to the theaters to see this movie. Like, I'd rather just see a smaller, isolated story about, like, what his life is now like as Spider-Man. So, but maybe that's just me. I mean, sure, I agree with you, but I, just knowing Sony and knowing that, you know, their bottom line always comes first, just from what we've seen oh, yeah. from projects Absolutely. and stuff like that. I, Exhibit I'm A, I'm not surprised Venom. that they're going to continue with it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm just hoping, you know, for a live action version of Miles where they'll maybe focus more on those, you know, more personal stories in the future. Like, I, I think that's where we're going like with how popular he is as a character right now, they, there's no way that they can continue to ignore, you know, the box office draw that is Miles. And I know we're like just the early stages of, you know, this whole like multiverse chapter in the MCU. And I mean, DC's about to do it also, uh, you know, when it comes to like the small screen and the big screen. Um, but I'm just worried about like multiverse exhaustion. Like, is it going to become mm. too much in a couple years? So, because this is part one of a two-part story. And then, you know, over on the MCU side of things, you know, we're in, like, the first phase of the multiverse. And I I'm guessing that's going to last till we get to the next big, like, event movie, which is, I'm assuming is going to be Secret Wars. So, I mean, you could be talking about close to, like, a decade of, like, multiverse stories we're going to be getting. <laughs> and that's not counting whatever DC has, like, brewing. So, I mean, I'm sure I'm going to love all of it, but I'm just a little weary right now. I think they will have a solid balance of everything. We're, like, you know, we're getting shows like Hawkeye right now in the midst of, like, all these other shows and movies that they have that are showing explosive you know multiverse breaking yeah. shit happening well i think they're gonna pepper in you know little stories here and there that can maybe ground the audience and keep bringing in new people that might not be so familiar yeah. with the overarching and it's you know, a fun multiverse. concept and i'm excited for you know spider-man mm. no way home obviously so and, and who knows like after i watch that i might be singing a completely different tune and like give me more multiverse shit but just knowing what's on the horizon i mean just knowing what's on the horizon i you know these smaller more personal contained stories feel like they're going to be too few and far between that's fair uh funny enough i was just wondering like when someone goes back to like rewatch everything like do you consider do you include the shows or like how do you how does that binge work at this point i think you're gonna have to right you know because uh -huh. those series are gonna end up meaning so much i mean there's such connective mm -hmm. glue that's happening especially like like wandavision really is going to set up or at least i'm assuming is really going to set up what happens in dr strange multiverse of madness you know and perhaps even like spider-man no way home so i mean and loki for that matter <laughs> so exactly. yeah i guess you have to include the series but i will say like you brought up with hawkeye you know on the flip side of things i do feel like these series are going to be kind of our saving grace 
where, you know, they're mm. going to be able to slip in a Hawkeye or a She-Hulk or, you know, a story like that to kind of, you know, give us kind of a rest and a change of pace. Well, anyway, we just fell down a rabbit hole. Uh, enough bitching from me. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1 will be premiering in theaters October 7th, 2022. Well, Christian, I'm a muggle, so I'm going to sit this one out, but uh, we got a trailer for the brand new Fantastic Beasts film. That's right, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. This is the team that's going to take down the most dangerous wizard in over a century. A magizoologist, this indispensable assistant. Wizard descended from a very old family, a school teacher, and a muggle. Dumbledore asked that I give you something, Jacob. Are you kidding me right now? Who wouldn't like our chances? So it feels like it's been forever since, you know, the last film came out and, you know, just because that was pre-COVID yeah, and everything. I was going to say, it was just like a year and uh, a half, two years ago, right? Yeah, The Crimes of Grindelwald came out like 2018, I believe, which really just feels ancient by now. But to be honest, I forgot most of that movie and had to like look up what went down because, you know, I couldn't remember anything from that film. Well, you weren't a big fan of it, so I'm, I'm not surprised. Exactly. From what I remember, that film just was a bit forced in its approach compared to just how like mystical and new the first one was. But anyway, we return to the adventures of Newt Scamander as he visits the Hogshead Inn in Hogsmeade. Here things get, you know, a bit more interesting because as the title of the film suggests, we're going to be learning, you know, quite a bit more about Albus Dumbledore's past as our main character Newt meets a younger Aberforth Dumbledore, Albus's brother, who um, throughout this trailer shows a lot of disdain for Albus because, you know, Albus is directly responsible for their sister's death. We get a bunch of familiar locations like, you know, Hogsmeade, but also Hogwarts as well. But really on top of that, the film's main backdrop is set for Brazil and we get some good glimpses of their school of magic. And I apologize if I'm butchering this, but Castilio Bruxo? Honestly, I think one of the more exciting aspects about the prequel films has been that they're not locked down to one region and really allows fans to get to explore more of the, uh, you know, larger wizarding world and how different cultures may be, you know, influenced by the schools that, you know, reside in their regions. As this film is set, you know, right before the Great War Grindelwald causes, you know, we finally see Mads Mikkelsen in the role. There has been a lot of discourse online about Mads picking up the role and even criticisms over his one spoken line in this trailer, all due to Warner's, you know, controversial decisions regarding Johnny Depp. I mean, personal issues aside, like I do enjoy Johnny Depp as an actor, but I mean, come on, I, I think Mads can handle this role. If that's what they're complaining about. I know it's always jaunting to have someone like, you know, take over a pretty established role. But I mean, like you said, it, it was literally one line in a trailer. If they absolutely had to recast in the end, Mickelson was the right choice. And I even imagine he may bring, you know, maybe a little bit more intensity to the role just based off of like the films I've seen him in in the past. I mean, really, it's all too early to cast him aside, but I do understand the controversy of them recasting. But from what we have seen in the trailer, we get a good grasp of like how much further Grindelwald's reach has gotten since the last time we've seen him. You know, he's definitely got a big influence here in Brazil based off of what we've seen from Signs. And in the one line that he he does drop he brings up you know this is the time to start the war he basically initiates the war here on the muggle world 
But more interestingly, we see him coming at odds with Credence as played by Ezra Miller, whom during this time Grindelwald has been kind of manipulating similarly to how Palpatine was for Vader. From what we see of Credence in this trailer, it seems like, you know, he may actually split from working with Grindelwald and we will most likely get down to the truth about him being a Dumbledore or not, which I honestly don't buy still, but who knows. I think Credence's journey will, and, you know, I you know, I brought up Vader for a reason because I do think Credence's journey will be similar to that kind of like tragic end of him turning on his evil master, you know, and that probably ending up killing him. But for right now, the only conflict we see him in in this trailer is that he's going to definitely, you know, be losing control of his magic again and fighting Albus. With Dumbledore really only being Albus's last name, I think the film's title will allude to a greater mystery about the family altogether rather than it being only about Albus himself, though he is tied you know, super deeply to Grindelwald as we again get to see him with the physical manifestation of their blood pact. I'm just hoping whatever it is has a decent payoff and it's not just some dumb secret. The last part I want to touch on before we move on is our muggle friend Jacob, who in this trailer they seem to give a wand to. There has been loads of speculation on if Jacob has magic or not for you know quite a while with all these films, but I think I'm going to go in the opposite direction and say the one that they give him in this is absolutely powerless. As I kind of get this weird vibe that it might be this running gag that happens in this film where he thinks he's using magic and is secure using this, you know, fake wand, when in reality it's just a stick to give him more confidence. But that's just my theory for this film. Um, Fantastic Beasts and the Secrets of Dumbledore is set for release April 15th. All right, Christian, so the time has finally arrived to break down probably the biggest episode to date of Hawkeye, not only for the series, but for the MCU. So let's get into episode five, Rodin. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for the Hawkeye series ahead. You have been warned. I love American Christmas is the tree, the presents, the super-powered reindeer. Have you ever eaten reindeer? Cannot say I've had the pleasure, no. <laughs> no, it is not a pleasure. This week jumps right into 2018 with Yelena after the events of Black Widow and right before the blip. We get a voiceover straight from the ending of Black Widow reminding us that Yelena has tasked herself with freeing all the widows from their mind-controlled state. Yelena, along with another former widow, Sonya, break into the home of who they think is another mind-controlled Black Widow. However, the former widow named Anna was never under any control, and spraying her with the antidote did nothing more than stain her $20,000 rug. This was definitely kind of a bonus scene that I was expecting to kind of like catch up with Elena like right after the you know aftermath of Black Widow. It was cool to see her you know mm -hmm. carry on the mission of trying to free all the widows from their mind control. I was pretty surprised to find out that there were Black Widows that got out of the program just on their own free will at some point. Yeah that was interesting and I'm wondering if that's going to come to play later on. After apologizing for their intrusion, Yelena learns that Anna has been doing very well for herself through contract killing. We also find out here what Yelena hopes to do with her newfound freedom, which is to, you know, live it up in New York with her bigger sis, Natasha. Dirty deeds done dirt cheap, Christian. <laughs> I, I think it was more of a sex in the city adventure, but <laughs> it works uh, both ways, right? She was going for. <laughs> but as Yelena goes to the bathroom, she is transported five years into the future thanks to being blipped. I know I, I said it before, but I'm going to say it again. I just love that everything we've seen after, you know, the events of Endgame is really kind of revolving around the ramifications of the blip. 
um, you know, and like characters dealing with what happens. I mean, that's the brilliance really of that story. I mean, Infinity Gauntlet, you know, what the whole end game Infinity War storyline was based on, like those events carried really no weight. I believe most people in the Marvel Universe basically had like their memories wiped. So they didn't even realize that, you know, half of the population <laughs> of disappeared, uh, let alone like for four years <laughs> and then we're just brought back suddenly. I mean, what Foggy and the MCU has done with that story, like with the whole, you know, universe dealing with the consequences has given us a vehicle to tell stories about like all these characters we know and love dealing with the trauma and aftermath of those events. I mean, basically, the entire Marvel Universe has PTSD. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because, I mean, really think about it. Like, in the comic books, we never get, like, the civilian, like, perspective of, like, how they're dealing with these, like, weekly alien mm -hmm. invasions and, you know, celestials, like, being buried in the middle of the Earth and these, like, constant wars basically happening in, like, you know, downtown New York or wherever. Like between like supervillains and superheroes. I mean, it would be basically like living in a war zone 24 7 if you think about it. Especially if you lived in New York. Exactly. I'm constantly wondering why anyone in the Marvel Universe right? lives in New York <laughs> at any time. <laughs> like, real estate down there must be dirt cheap because your house is going to fucking blow up oh, yeah. at any minute. <laughs> so for like, you know, casual fans who didn't necessarily grow up reading comic books their entire life, it might seem like, well, of course they're going to tackle like, you know, the consequences of these like, you know, giant events. Um, but for me, it's like, oh, this is like a breath of fresh air. Like, you know, this shit matters. Like when a fucking alien invasion happens, like it's a big fucking deal. You know, I just mm -hmm. love that like layered storytelling that's happening here with Yelena versus like what we saw with Monica Rambeau and her return was we actually saw like the like area around her decay and turn into the um, new version of itself in five years. Like we didn't see that the first time around with Monica's return. I'm guessing it's probably because uh, she was in a hospital that, room. So that room probably Yes, it was pretty change, much the same. Right? Yeah. Where, you know, obviously they redecorated. It looks like, you know, the agent, you know, got married and you know obviously did some more interior design to the mansion that she lives in so um it, it, it was mm. awesome visually though <laughs> it was a really nice effect and i thought it did a really good job of getting across like just how trippy it would be but also like how quick it would mm. seem you know it, to them it feels like just a matter of moment if only you know spider-man hadn't fought so long to stay alive he might have just been in and out Instead of, you know, <laughs> slowly dying there in front of Tony Stark. That, that scene still depresses uh, me. Cutting back to our present timeline, Kate has returned to her mother Eleanor's home after taking a physical and emotional beating in the last episode. Kate, being consoled by Eleanor, discusses if she is capable of being a hero. Eleanor here gives some sage advice on being able to move forward even when things get shitty, as you never know what you're going to get in life. To me, this whole combo felt like, you know, kind of foreshadowing to the big reveal later on in this episode and to what may actually go down in the finale. But before their conversation came to a close, Kate would confess her findings on Jack and Sloan Limited to Eleanor, forcing Eleanor to promise that she'll actually look into this. I thought this scene really added depth to Kate, um, you know, seeing her vulnerable and just seeing her mm -hmm. like so heartbroken by like rejection from Hawkeye. 
I mean, you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, her whole life has really revolved around like, you know, hero worshiping, you know, Clint. So to have Clint push her away like he did, I mean, just has to be devastating. Now, this whole episode feels like a big test for her in general with all the interactions she has. I did think it was funny, like just how she just nonchalantly dropped the information about, you know, her mom's fiance, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> like she didn't even bother, like beating around the bush about it. She's like, just so like matter of fact, like, oh, by the way, your fiance is a total crook. But at the same time, Eleanor barely reacts to it. Like she's like, oh, OK, cool. Uh-huh. Right. Well, sure, I'll look into I it. I almost read it like she was taken aback by it. But no, I agree. You know, reading between the lines. Yeah. She obviously knows because she's the one who probably set him up. Later, we see Kazi tending to the wounds of Maya after the fight from last episode. Again, this moment feels like it alludes to a deeper connection between these characters as Kazi shows genuine concern when finding out that there's another assassin there after Clint. Kazi would again tell Maya this needs to end and promises to help capture Ronan. Yeah, this version of Kazi is like super likable. He's probably like one of the more likable characters on the show. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, he's somehow involved, but he's completely different than the monster he is in, you know, the Hawkeye book. I'm wondering if we eventually get that version of the character. Though. Kate returning to her burned down apartment to pick up some things so that she can, you know, stay at Eleanor's penthouse runs into an unexpected and very hungry guest as Yelena sits Kate down for some much needed girl talk. Yelena, who has actually been craving mac and cheese since her days as a youngster back in Black Widow, finally scores some here in Kate's apartment as these two first discuss how Yelena was never trying to kill Kate on that roof. In fact, if she had wanted to, she could probably have killed Kate quite easily. My God, this scene was everything. Like their chemistry yes. just jumps <laughs> off the screen at you. Um, they either, like, if Hawkeye gets a second season, like, Yelena needs to be part of it, or, like, Kate and Yelena need to get their own, like, you know, show. <laughs> we just mm -hmm. need more Yelena in our lives. Because Florence Pugh is just so awesome as this character, and her and Kate just mesh so well together. You just want more of whatever's happening here. Yelena here delights in her first time being in New York, much to the surprise of Kate, who you know was probably expecting a much more hostile conversation here. But instead, Yelena actively looks to connect with Kate and genuinely seems like she's having a great time. You know, she even wants to visit that updated version of the Statue of Liberty as seen in the recent No Way Home trailers. But Kate is also quick to point out that Yelena is consistently using her full name to show that she knows a lot about her which, you know, immediately throws this whole conversation from quirky and fun to just how dangerous Yelena can be as she goes on to say all the facts about Kate. Yeah, a lot of what Yelena's doing here is just trying to, like, disarm Kate and make her comfortable mm -hmm. as possible to get what she needs from her. Um, but, like, their chemistry together feels real. Like, I felt like it was 50% tactic and 50% just Yelena's charm. But in, in this, this moment, you do realize <laughs> that Kate actually kind of sees through it and it's probably trying to match her move for move. But at the same time, they're both like genuinely like good people. <laughs> uh <-huh>. <laughs> <laughs> Kate trying to get to the bottom of this conversation asks what Yelena wants with Clint, in which Yelena bluntly states she's here to kill him. Yelena isn't shy about how she feels about Clint after asking Kate why she protects him. Yelena, after disclosing, you know, her relation to Natasha as her sister, 
questions the morality of Clint's actions and you know how he can still claim to be a hero after all he has done. Kate continues to defend Clint, but it is no good as Yelena doesn't appreciate Kate claiming there will always be losses and collateral damage and these kinds of fights that the Avengers have. So yes, Kate once again is faced with the idea that Clint isn't necessarily the hero that, you know, she's been inspiring to be all these years. So at the same mm -hmm. time, though, she still like truly believes in Clint as a person. So her devotion to him never really wavers. Um, and it just it goes to show you like what a strong willed character she really is. Because in her mind, she knows he's a hero because she literally witnessed it firsthand, you know, when he saved her life. This conversation would come to a close with two realizations as Kate discovers, you know, this isn't just a mission of vengeance and with Kate claiming she is unaware where Clint is, which I was honestly surprised didn't kick off a like massive torture scene for Kate. But I guess Yelena isn't willing to go that far to get her mark. Yeah, I mean, somewhere in the in that conversation, she mentions like seeing Kate save the dog uh, in the middle of the street and how that really like garnered points with her. So I'm guessing since she's been tracking Kate this entire series, you know, she's come to the realization that Kate's actually a good person. And with Yelena, you know, trying to turn a new leaf and, you know, her, you know, being a good person also, she probably isn't willing to go that far. Kate asks Yelena to question who the kind of person it is that would want Clint dead in the first place. And honestly, this great back and forth leaves both characters a lot to think about. But in all honesty, Damon, I, I think this is probably gonna be one of my favorite scenes of the entire series, just because of just how great these two work together, like you were mentioning before. No, I agree 100%. I know we only have like one episode left, but I really hope to get more moments like this. Mm -hmm. So even if it's in like a season two. Meanwhile, while all that was going on, Clint has made his way to Grill's place and we find out that the firefighter has been looking over Pizza Dog. On top of that, we get a tease that Kate and Clint's costumes have been finished by the LARPer group. However, we didn't get a look at them because you know Clint went to sleep instead of caring about these brand new fucking costumes. In all the, you know, posters and promotional artwork, I think we've pretty much seen what these costumes are going to look like, but it doesn't stop me from holding out hope that we get that mask for Hawkeye. So. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Kate returning to Eleanor's finds Jack being sent away in handcuffs by the, you know, the same cop that actually called Kate about her house being burnt down. Eleanor claims that she actually did what Kate asked for by looking more into Sloan Limited. However, Jack seems absolutely positive in his innocence as he claimed he'd be back out by dinner. And also, Eleanor was again pretty expressionless in this scene. So I'll be honest with you, Christian. Jack's really grown on me. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good moment. I'll uh, give you that. He's like, I'll see you by dinner. He's just like, whatever. <laughs> so what if he's being frank? He's not sweating the small stuff. And once again, his mustache looks just marvelous. I had seen a like theory about Jack possibly being an inside agent and maybe, you know, he's trying to get into Kingpin's ranks. How, how do you feel about that? Like he's trying to infiltrate Kingpin's ranks to bring him down? Yes. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> even though I, like I said, the character's kind of growing on me, it does feel like a bit of a waste of a character. Like they could have just given him any other name other than like the swordsman. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'm guessing all that is going to come into play somehow. You know, if not in this season, maybe in another season, if there is another season. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, that would be interesting. I mean, it feels like we've only been teased the amount of his actual ability as the swordsman. So like with that fight that he had had earlier on. So oh, I imagine when, you're talking about when um, Kate and him are like kind of dueling. Fencing. Yeah, yeah. she's, you mm -hmm. know, not having any of it. Like she can tell how skilled he is right off the bat that he's just kind of playing with her. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, why bother like giving the swordsman this role and using, you know, a character like the swordsman in this role if you're not going to actually like utilize him at all? But who knows? Maybe he'll show up to, in the next episode, you know, clearly making it out before dinner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and helping with the final battle. We next find Clint having a moment at the 2012 Avengers battle with there being a memorial plaque with the first Avengers team's names. Here, Clint actually takes out his hearing aids to talk directly to Natasha about how he is still kind of reliving that moment on Volmir when she died. Clint, who was pulled out of the darkness by Natasha back in the endgame, finds himself again needing to don the gear of Ronin, and in this moment, Clint apologizes for what he's about to do. I thought this was a really touchy moment. I mean, the series has done so much to make Clint like a real three-dimensional character that you care about. I mean, if you think about it in like, what, like 10 years worth of movies, you know, <laughs> Marvel's never bothered doing. So, um, I don't know, man. I, I love that this series has so many moments like this. We return to Kate in her room amongst all her achievements in her quest to become a hero much like Hawkeye, and ultimately she decides to get back into this fight. In doing so, she of course attempts to reach out to Clint and ends up filling up his voicemail with hundreds of messages. I thought this was staying true to character. I mean, there's no way like Kate Bishop would ever take no as an answer. Um, you mm. know, once she's determined on doing something, she's going to do it. Um, that's who her character is in the comics, and that's who she is here in the series. I was surprised it took this long. You know, it was about 30 minutes into this episode. <laughs> Clint, while ignoring Kate's calls, literally sends a message to Maya by firing an arrow at Thomas in the tracksuit mafia's truck, as they were discussing if they were anything like the Royal Tenenbaums for some reason. In the message, it tells Maya to meet Ronan at the first place she had saw him. What a fucking waste of an arrow. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many other ways he could have sent this message. <laughs> but to shoot the arrow through the windshields and then just to have that little note like pop up. I was like, really? You have an arrow for this? <laughs> it's menacing, I guess. I, I don't guess, know. but like that's like he has a messenger arrow, Christian. A messenger uh -huh. arrow. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> but hey, speaking of messages, here's a quick one from this week's sponsor, BetterHelp. Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? What interferes with your happiness? Perhaps our sponsor, BetterHelp.com, is the service for you. BetterHelp is professional counseling, and it's all done securely online. They're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches with a counselor that fits your needs. These are licensed professional counselors who are specialized in everything from depression, stress, anxiety, and relationships, to sleeping trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, and grief and self-esteem. This is not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling with the convenience to send a message to your counselor at any time. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And you can connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient you can start communicating in under 48 hours. And what's great about BetterHelp is that it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. I know that there was definitely a time in my life where I needed an outside perspective and or, you know, 
someone who would just hear me out. And that's the kind of counseling you can get from BetterHelp. And I love that there's no uncomfortable waiting rooms. In fact, the service is available for clients worldwide. Also, it's free to change counselors if needed. But don't just take our word for it. Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Damon, I've heard so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp.com listener. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash listener and get 10% off your first month today. That's BetterHelp.com slash listener. Help is just a click away. Clint, before the final confrontation of this episode, picks up his Ronin gear from the locker he stored it in and calls up his wife, Laura. Clint warns her that this is all becoming, again, just too big, that even the family is at risk as things seem to be rapidly approaching towards getting that big guy's attention. Laura actually backs Clint's choice to attempt ending you know, everything here tonight with Maya showing that she trusts his judgment, but also she states that she understands more than anyone else the choice that he is making again, alluding to some kind of super spy past for Laura, but you know, we will see. So a lot of people online right now are kind of speculating that Laura could actually be Bobby, uh, Mockingbird in the comic books. Um, mm. And that's why she seems to be so knowledgeable about this side of, you know, Clint's life, um, because she's also a former agent. I'm kind of wondering if she's actually a former widow. And that's why in the opening scene, they established that there are widows who weren't underneath mind control. And maybe like Clint met Laura through Natasha. Does that make sense to you? I mean, it just adds another layer to the Budapest stuff that we just don't, still don't understand fully. But I, I think that would be a good twist. Like I could even see like the final battle, you know, of the series ending up at Clint's home. Uh, where this is all kind of revealed once like Yelena recognizes Laura. And then what, Laura has to, you know, bust out some skills or just... <laughs> no, they're gonna have fucking tea, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe after Laura gets her widow on, she's able to convince Yelena that Clint is actually a good person and not responsible for Natasha's death. Okay, okay, I can buy into this. I, I mean, it's a bit of a stretch, it. but... <laughs> <laughs> but you know if i get this right you'll never hear that oh yeah um so I, i'm gonna vote <laughs> that they just stay in new york and nothing else happens in the next scene we see that maya goes along with clint's message on where to meet up but she doesn't come alone as the tracksuits are posted up at every possible car in the used car shop where maya's father was killed here clint goes full fucking batman dressed up as ronin and taking out everyone, Kazi included. In what may be Clint's most badass fight yet in the MCU, Clint has a brutal contest with Maya, but still overpowers the highly skilled fighter. So I really like this sequence, but I gotta say I was a little disappointed that Clint got the best of Maya here. Because in the comics, Maya's taken out Daredevil, who's one of the best like hand-to-hand -hand fighters in the Marvel Universe. And Maya is such a skilled fighter, all she would need to do is watch a couple of videos of Hawkeye in action and she'd be able to kick his fucking ass. At least that's, you know, who she is in the comics. So, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I guess she does eventually kind of overtake him, but I don't know, this this fight was a little too short for me. It was awesome while it lasted, 
Um, but I don't know. I, like, like I agree. I think you know what we got was pretty awesome. Like I said, it was pretty fucking brutal. You sh- you got to see Hawkeye in full fucking Ronin force yeah. here. But at the same time, I was hoping for a lot more out of this confrontation. Like I was hoping for like a big like you know moment where he doesn't have his hearing aids in and he has to learn how to overcome that. And I don't know if we're gonna get that in the final episode, especially with everything that's going on now with what was what's been revealed at the end of this episode my guess is this isn't the final round of the fight at all you know mm-hmm. that we'll see one more confrontation at least between the two um but i mean like like you said i enjoyed what we saw i just didn't like the outcome mm-hmm. especially knowing that echo is about to get her own series here ronan unveils himself to maya as clint showing his face and warning maya to never go after him or his family Clint attempts to connect with Maya by explaining they are both weapons, blinded by rage, being forced to go after targets without seeing the full picture of what's going on. Clint claims, like Maya, he was manipulated into killing her father by her boss, as he was tipped off by a mystery informant. Maya, still fueled by rage, breaks Clint's guard and takes his sword, but before she can get the killing blow on him, an arrow knocks the sword right out of her hand. This gives Clint enough time to escape with Kate, and they take an Uber to get away. Way. The Uber was definitely a nice touch. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, she does, once again, she does eventually get the drop on, you know, Clint here. Um, and I mean, I guess you could make the case that she is blinded by rage. And maybe that's why Clint was able to take her um, initially. Mm-hmm. It's still a really cool scene. I just think it maybe served Clint more than it served Maya. Because we do get to see how formidable of a fighter Clint is, too. Because if you think about it in the Avenger films, he's just kind of sitting on rooftops shooting arrows, right? And jumping off rooftops. Sometimes (laughs) he actually hits people with his bow, but yeah. (laughs) Maya then reunites with Kazi, still with the words of Clint in her mind. She starts to question why Kazi, her father's right-hand man, wasn't there the night he was killed, clearly marking him as the prime suspect for the mystery informants. Though let's be honest, his excuse was very weak, so yeah, it's definitely Kazi. Agreed. Kate and Clint, while still in the Uber, discuss her meeting up with Yelena. Kate informs Clint that Yelena is Natasha's sister, which causes Clint to look even more guilt-ridden by this information. Meanwhile, we cut away to Yelena, who is actually stalking Eleanor back to her penthouse apartment. This was a really good performance by Jeremy Renner here, because you could tell he was trying to like no-sell the information, but at the same time, it was like Mm -hmm. a a punch in the dick, so. (laughs) (laughs) He looked absolutely mortified. Yes, he did. Our dynamic duo makes their way back to Grill's place as Kate and Clint see Pizza Dog has brand new tricks, but their joy in Pizza Dog's dance is quickly interrupted by a text on Kate's phone, as Yelena sends Kate a picture as to who she believes hired her for the job all along, with a message stating that Eleanor, her mother, was the one who hired her. In that picture, we see Eleanor and the big man himself finally making his debut, Kingpin as played by Vincent D'Onofrio having a quick smile in Eleanor's penthouse as our episode comes to a close. Yeah, so we even hear Hawkeye refer to him as Kingpin. Yes. So Kingpin confirmed. Though that picture was so fucking blurry, even when they zoomed in on it, I was like, is that Vincent D'Onofrio? So I had to wait till I saw the actual credit <laughs> to feel like secure about it. Yeah, you would think Yelena ha- would have better tech, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I mean, a huge reveal for the series. I mean, what we were hoping for all along. I mean, way back when we when we first started hearing rumors of possibly Kingpin being involved. Uh, but I mean, 
an even bigger reveal for the MCU. I mean, what it really tells us is that, you know, Marvel and Kevin Foggy are ready to really like give us those underworld stories we've all been craving since like the Netflix series went off the air. I'm just so happy that like Vincent D'Onofrio is getting a second chance to play this character. He was just amazing in the Daredevil series. I can't wait to see how this character translates to, you know, the Marvel Universe, though, to the MCU. As of recording this, we haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home yet, obviously. So, and, and knock on wood, that might also feature the debut of, you know, Matt Murdock in the MCU. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, those are two big reveals in one week. Uh, and I'm, I'm here for it. I can't wait to see what they have in store for us. I mean, just the plethora of stories this opens up for Marvel um, is just mind-blowing. So, and I'm excited for it. Hey, I'm still holding out hope for Mike Coulter to return as Luke Cage as well. So if we can get that ball rolling, where the petitions, yeah, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, that that'd be going. fantastic. Uh, now, no doubt, I feel like these are probably different versions of those characters. Oh, yeah. But why not? I mean, we know how great he was in that role. So why not bring him back? Same with uh, Kristen Ritter. You know, as Jessica Jones, why not? The only one I would leave on the bench is, you know, what's his name is uh, Iron Fist. <laughs> exactly. I, I wasn't even going to mention Finn Jones. <laughs> Sorry, Finn, you don't get an invite to this party. <laughs> I just love how true to Echo's story they're sticking. Because obviously mm -hmm. it's Kingpin who's behind, you know, the betrayal of her father and everything. So so we're really going to get to see that whole story probably play out, I'm guessing, in her solo series. Um, do you feel like there's any chance of her picking up the Ronin gear by the end of this show? I don't think so. I, you know, the series is called Echo, not Ronin. Mm -hmm. So I mean, maybe and maybe it lasts a couple episodes. If I had to guess at the end of this season you know her uncle wilson's involvement in her father's death is going to be like revealed to her and that's going to send her on the war path so maybe symbolically she decides to take up the mantle of ronin on a road for vengeance but at the same time it is a little weird to be wearing the costume of the vigilante who killed your father like right yeah, <laughs> yeah <too> right. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly like and honestly, like in the comic book, the whole Ronin persona wasn't part of this equation yet, you know, with Echo. So I'm guessing she's going to want to do this face to face. I mean, the only real benefit of her becoming Ronin is that identity like strikes fear like in the underworld. Which it already feels like she's capable on her own without that exactly. name. I agree. But she would be awesome in the suit. <laughs> <laughs> be a great visual but yeah no i don't think it makes sense story-wise so with you know eleanor and kingpin being all buddy buddy in that in that final moment there that final picture made me wonder like you know could there be more to it than you know just friendship oh are you saying like there's an actual like relationship there I why are you know. jumping to that <laughs> you creep I don't know, man I, I i had this this weird idea that like maybe no. I think it's probably purely business. I think we'd be just getting into like soap opera territory then. <laughs> you know, like what if Kate's actually, you know, Kingpin's daughter? Like, I mean, I mean, that's too much. We don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> that's like as the world turns bullshit. Like, no. <laughs> 
the story's strong enough without those elements. So uh-huh. I hope they don't go that route. Now they're going to totally go that route. But no, <laughs> my guess is just a business arrangement. And it's going to be more mm. about Kate dealing with the fact that her mother isn't who she seems to be. So Eleanor brought up in the beginning of the episode where like she was saying, you know, maybe this isn't the path like you have the right skills, but maybe you're going down, you know, the wrong direction or, you know, your path isn't the right way. Maybe she was grooming her to possibly work for Kingpin at some day. Hopefully, I hoping that her skills could be useful in his eyes. Maybe, maybe. And maybe that's why she's been so supportive of mm-hmm. her gaining all these skills throughout her young life. But I don't know. I, it feels more of I don't want you getting in my way. You know, yes. you being mm. a hero puts us at odds, you know, and there's going to be an eventual confrontation. You know, she doesn't want to be discovered. Does Yelena finding out that, you know, Kingpin's behind this, you think, change her mind in any way? Or is she still going to be hunting down Clint as hard as she has been? I don't think so, because it doesn't change the fact that, you know, she still believes that Clint is responsible for Natasha's death. Mm-hmm. So she's still going to want her vengeance, regardless of who hired her for the job. I'm just wondering Contessa's connection to Mm. Kingpin. You know, is she working for him or with him? Or is it like, you know, because she's the one who initially hired Yelena. So like, was that for Kingpin? I don't know. Could Kingpin be creating his own super team in the end? My guess is the job somehow benefits both parties. Most likely, you know, that their their needs somehow are just crossing paths here um, and it's just kind of worked out because it does feel like Contessa somehow working for some kind of, you know, shadow department in the government. Well, I mean, the true way to find more answers on what's going to happen is to actually watch next week's episode, right? Well, tune in next week is hopefully we get some answers to all these questions and then some um, as we break down the season finale of Hawkeye. Well, Christian, you finally got around to reviewing the newest anime series over on Netflix, right? That's right. I finally got some time to talk some super crooks. Johnny Bolt recruits a group of ragtag supervillains for one last heist. Their target, a ruthless superpower crime boss. What can go wrong? I had honestly forgotten that Netflix was going to be doing more content within Mark Miller's works, and I'm still holding out hopes on a comic-accurate Wanted series, but for now, this fun new anime gave me the Miller fix I was itching for. Now, I haven't read the 2012 limited series of Super Crooks, but it lives within that same universe as the Jupiter's Legacy show we got on Netflix that was swiftly cancelled. However, this anime is far superior to that live-action show, and takes on a more grown-up tale as compared to shows like Invincible. In this, we follow Johnny from the moment he decided to become a villain and see how that actually works out for him. While used to doing, you know, small-time jobs with his buddies, he gets pushed by his significant other Casey to take on a bigger job that will set him up for life. The chemistry and dynamic of these two drives the show, and you can even argue Casey is a more important character than Johnny in the end. But you will easily fall in love with these two very charismatic characters 
along with the rest of their team. They're bad guys, but their mission to better their own lives in the face of dangerous heroes and supervillains makes them so much more endearing and makes you want to root for them. The writing itself is what makes it stand out so much in the growing genre of adult superhero tales, like The Boys and Invincible, like I mentioned before. The way that they were able to craft these moments from, you know, the outrageous to the very subtle made for just such an interesting watch. And on top of all that, this series is very much a standalone. While, I mean, you could make a sequel to it, this story has a beginning, middle, and very satisfying end. The animation actually reminded me a lot of another show we got on Netflix called Devil May Cry Baby. However, this show feels a tad bit more polished than that. And the action sequences were pretty well put together and felt grounded in a way that makes you feel the impact and realism of what's going on in these moments, especially when there's so much massive collateral damage going on. And even more exciting than the animation was the awesome sound design throughout, plus the score, which is absolutely fantastic. Not to mention that awesome opening we get before every single episode. It's an absolute bang and iconic in itself. Oh no, this was a show that I was surprised wasn't talked about more, especially in like the anime circles that I'm in. And I honestly highly recommend you try out Super Crooks. And grade-wise, I'm gonna give it a solid A. The show hits all the right notes without ever getting too bloated or exposition heavy. Everything just feels so woven tight together and tells an excellent story from start to finish. Well, now it's time for Christian's Corner. Well, catching up in the gaming world, we had the always controversial Game Awards with It Takes Two winning Game of the Year. As always, this sparked rage amongst the gaming world as everyone is always opinionated about who they thought should win. All in all, I believe It Takes Two seemed like quite the compelling co-op adventure that still has a whole lot of people playing it and streaming it quite regularly with their friends. In the end, the Game Awards, while they are marketed like the Oscars of gaming, aren't really that. And people really should just like what they like anyway. Plus, I know you all really only care about the amazing Nerd Shows game of the year every January. But amongst the winners, we got tons of great new trailers for brand new games. But the thing that actually surprised me the most at the Game Awards was the new TV series for Halo coming to Paramount+. Plus. This thing looks like they threw the whole goddamn checkbook at it. And I'm excited to finally see a Halo series kick off the ground. There's been so many stories of development hell for them trying to get a live action Halo on the big screen. So much so that this was something I wasn't sure I'd even see during my lifetime. But at the same time, most movies and shows based on games haven't had the best track record of late, but Hollywood seems invested in pulling stories from the gaming world as we're getting a as we're getting a Last of Us show right now, um, there's that new Uncharted film with Tom Holland, and now this Halo series. Um, everything so far looks accurate, but it is good to note that we only saw things on the human side of Halo. There was no Covenant or Brutes or anything like that. So we'll see how the special effects go or if they go more practical with that. Also, we'll find out what kind of skulls they are using because I'm sure hoping to see a Grunt Birthday Party headshot. Another thing that excited me in this past week in gaming was press getting their hands on Sifu. Seeing Sifu in action was awesome as you see the protagonist in all his kung fu glory. We got to see the death system in action as every time the player dies, he returns to life older. While you return with less health, you can unlock more abilities between each life, making you, you know, a wiser fighter. And you get a damage boost, of course. So there is a finite amount of times you can return before the game forces you to restart. The aesthetic really nails that John Wick kung fu feel, and I couldn't be more excited to get my hands on this combat 
driven title. Sifu is available February 8th, but if you're hesitant to buy, I will be streaming it live on Twitch when it comes out. So make sure to join us for all our gaming adventures over on our Twitch channel. I know that we just finished Mass Effect and I believe by the time you hear this, I will have finished Guardians of the Galaxy on stream. Plus, we also you know, recently started the Halo Infinite campaign. I know I play way too many games and you can catch all the replays of those over on our Twitch channel as well. Just, just make sure you're following us, Amazing Nerd Show on Twitch to get the live notifications and watch us live every single Thursday through Sunday. But with all that said, let's move on over to wrestling. When you claimed I needed to stop running and face you like a man so you can move on to try to become a world champion. That's interesting, Punk, because I didn't realize that having an undefeated streak in a string of underwhelming matches against underwhelming opponents made you championship material. I thought that just made you the new Ryback. All right, Damon, winter is finally here as we got AEW's winter is coming. Yes, it was a card that didn't have many matches announced, surprisingly, but then we found out there's a reason why for that, right? Yeah, because Hangman Adam Page and Brian Danielson went 60 fucking minutes. <laughs> <laughs> With commercials. Yes, a lot of commercials, but it is what it is, yes. right? So, man, this was another instant classic from Brian. You know, and Paige, for that matter. I mean, the match he had with Omega at the pay-per-view was fantastic. So, um, I don't know why I was expecting anything different, though. The build to this match was so fantastic. Just Brian turning heel, basically. Destroying most of the Dark Order. You know, Hangman being, like, you know, their savior. And, you know, coming in and saving the day. I mean, they had such great, like, pull-apart brawls and everything. Uh I, I don't know. I just was expecting them to go like a full 60 minutes, though, and give us this huge like barn, you know, burner. Um, but that's what they did. Um, you know, at first I was definitely taken aback by the way they started the match. I wasn't expecting to see any kind of lockup. I just really thought Hangman like at the bell would be fists blazing. But, um, you know, mm -hmm. it, it seemed like they were trying to really like play up the fact that Hangman was nervous about his first like title defense, you know, on commentary. So, I mean, maybe that's why they made that choice where Brian was kind of like playing like head games and trying to show up Hangman. Um, you know, because he just didn't feel as as aggressive as you would expect him to feel after like, you know, the build up for the last like, you know, month or so. So, um, but, you know, then once everything started to kind of like get going and they started getting a groove, it was like, oh, they're trying to pace this match. They're going like the long haul here. They're definitely going to be, you know, putting in work tonight. And that's what they did. Now, I didn't think they were going to go a full 60 minutes. Uh, but, you know, once they hit that 40 minute mark, I was like, oh, they're definitely they're 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 going to hit 60. Um, I I just thought like just the story that they were able to tell throughout this match. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I came into the match really not expecting Brian to have much of a chance to walk away with the title. But around that like half hour mark, like I was like, oh, shit, like maybe he is going to win this because things started to really like look dire. But then they really had like Hangman show his grit and like, you know, keep on like fighting through everything Brian threw at him, um, you know, really just, you know, showing, you know, what cowboy shit is really all about. So um, just hard hitting, like I said, well-paced, 
Just one hell of a match. No, it was a great culmination of, as you said, of everything that we'd gotten up to this point. I def- I just I don't know if it's like because we we expect this to happen on maybe a pay-per-view style event or something like that. But the fact that it was on TV, maybe we didn't expect it to go 60 minutes. Yeah. I don't know. Because I was on that same boat as you. I was like, oh, when this came on, I was like, there's no way it's going to reach that 60 minute limit. There's no way. I was. But once they broke 30 minutes, I was like, oh, they're going. Well, yeah, after like, and I wasn't even keeping track of the time, but it was like the third or fourth commercial break. I was like, oh, shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna go full hour here i mean exactly. those commercial breaks were definitely annoying like i was happy for the picture in picture and i thought they used them well where they like you know timed it out and they definitely had mm-hmm. enough going on during the picture in picture um where it wasn't like you know just a huge rest spot which you'll see sometimes with like wwe or even other AEW matches for that matter they use those commercial breaks to keep the story going um and to help mm-hmm. pace the match honestly um, so I thought that was really well done. Um, I did feel it was a little bit of a downer that, you know, Paige didn't, you know, win the match outright. Yes. Um, so the finish did feel a little flat to me. Um, I thought the last minute became a little too telegraphed just because they were doing so much. And that minute where I was, you know, they made the announcement, you know, that there's one minute left. And then, like, I was on the edge of my seat, don't get me wrong, but then, like, it was almost too busy of a minute where I was like, there's no way this is, you know, still, like, in that minute, like, time mark. Here, I'll start at edge of the seat. Like, I was on the edge of my seat, but, like, after a little bit and after, like, the second or third sequence, I was like, there's no way this minute is in, like, real time. Like, we're definitely, like, (laughs) in the second minute, you know, at this point, you know, or a minute over at this point. So, um, it was definitely an interesting choice. I was, I was expecting, like, an announcement of maybe, like, a sudden death round after this, Mm. um, you know, to keep the match going. Uh, I did feel like it kind of took, like, the wind out of, like, you know, the audience. Um, Well, they got other matches to do. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, that's true. But obviously, they didn't want Hangman to get, like, a win here. You know, they wanted to continue this, you know, feud or to keep, you know, Brian undefeated for some reason. I'll be curious to see if, like, this you know, whole program continues. Um, you know, the announcers made a point to like talk about like we've got to get a rematch like multiple times after the finish. So it feels like this is going to continue in some shape or form. But that's not how AEW's really been like booking these programs. We don't see a lot of rematches. Um so I wouldn't be surprised either way, honestly. Um I just don't know where they go from here with Paige. You know, we both we had both uh, CM Punk and MJF, you know, make a mention of going after the title, you know, you know, after their feud is done with Mm -hmm. um, with each other. So we'll see if that's going to be the case. Uh, But we don't even have that match announced yet. So, I mean, maybe, you know, we see a pay-per-view match between, you know, Brian and Paige. I'm hoping for that, honestly. I feel like this is kind of like the exception to the rule. I mean, with the draw and everything, with it being 60 minutes, I feel like it's a good enough reason for this match to happen. Um, So I I hope Khan makes it happen. 
honestly. So we'll we'll have to wait and see. But I mean, like I said, I mean, this match was an instant classic. Well, yeah, it's still a good distance of time until the next pay-per-view event. I, I mean, I hope that he has at least one defense in between now and then. I don't know if it'll be like a well, throwaway match. Well, they do or what, have but... a night of champions or, you know, champion versus champion. I can't, gotcha. I can't remember what the, you know, special is called, but it's basically their like clash of champions, you know, the old WCW mm-hmm. special. So, uh, I, I'm guaranteeing the belt is definitely on the line, you know, at that event. Um, but that's only an hour long, and apparently all the belts are supposed to be on the line, so I don't know how they're pulling that off. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> at least what, that's what, the like, all the promo material leads you to believe, because they show all of the champions. So it's like, well, how are you going to mm. do that with just one hour? So, I mean, maybe that's just misleading. It's really going to be like Paige. You know, maybe they have like Paige versus, you know, Sammy Guevara or something like that. Maybe they do belt versus belt. Hmm. You know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm pulling that out of my ass. You know, <laughs> <laughs> We literally know nothing on this show. So, uh, I could totally see them doing maybe half the show on YouTube or something if they wanted. That's a good idea. I, and they've I, done something similar to that in the past. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because I think that's like a Saturday night special, too. It just sucks to have a special like that and, you know, have it revolve around your titles and have it only be an hour long. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So it, it just feels like a glorified rampage at that point. But you're right. I mean, March 3rd or 4th. I mean, that's a long time away. So mm-hmm. it feels like Paige and Brian, if they still have business to do, like they need to do it before then. Because um, I can't imagine them stretching out this program that length. So, I mean, we'll we'll have to wait and see, though. So up next, we had a super click promo uh, with Bobby Fish along for the ride. I just love that the Bucks like made in a point when they like, you know, were introduced that it was the super click and Bobby fish, you know, just being kind of like those spiteful, like jealous, like siblings, you know, almost, Mm -hmm. you know, just like, you know, Oh, he's not really with us. He's only kind of with us. Uh, But yeah, they talked about, you know, uh, their feud with the best friends and how they left them laying on like Trent's big night back, uh, you know, just kind of making a joke out of the best friends, really. They challenged the best friends to an eight man tag on Rampage. uh, And then uh, Cole teases that he has a Christmas gift for them, uh, I believe, next week. So um, and he kind of winks at uh, Bobby Fish. So... Could it be Kyle O'Reilly? Me. And if so, will the Bucks actually be happy to see, you know, Undisputed Era reform in AEW? I don't know. I feel like they would just be like shrugging at one another as the three of them celebrate in the ring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm definitely sensing there's going to be some tension happening sooner than later. Uh-huh. Right? Uh, we'll see where this all leads, though. You know, is this a case of Cole, like, turning on the Bucks and then, like, Kenny Omega shows up to save the day, you know, in, in a few weeks? Um, and then we get kind of, like, you know, the the lead first, you know, the Undisputed Era. I mean, that's that's not a bad feud. Yeah, it, it, I mean, no. if you think about it, Cole's really a babyface, right? Like, he does, I mean, he does what he can to get booed, but, like, in between those little, like, heel tactics throughout his matches, like, he's getting cheered like no one, like, in yeah. the company, honestly. Yeah, everyone loves like, him. Like, he's probably the hottest babyface they have, right? Let's be honest. Uh-huh. 
So maybe they're like, okay, we're going way too against the grain here. We just need to kind of like fast forward this stuff and, you know, turn cold, you know, face here. And, you know, Tony Khan can somehow sign Kyle O'Reilly, which, you know, it's rumored that he's definitely interested. Uh, it makes for like a dream match, you know, between the Undisputed Era and the Elite. Something just, what, six months ago, we would definitely not expect to be seen in AEW. Exactly. I'm just hoping that uh, Kyle O'Reilly has music to go along with his guitar as he goes down the <laughs> ring for once. That's all I yeah, want. Yeah, because it's been pretty brutal over on NXT right now. <laughs> you know, he's trying to make it work, but his new music just does not no. groove with his, his little guitar gimmick, so... Um, yeah, no, I'm sure they'll all just come out to Adam Cole's music, though. I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, yeah. If that's what happens here, we're already acting like, you know, the feud is on, so. Oh, it's on. <laughs> you know, do you think it'll be Cole turning on the Bucks, though, or do you think it'll be the Bucks turning on Cole and friends? If they don't want to go against the grain, then it would be the Bucks just super kicking everyone. Mm. It's probably similar to the so Ring they of can Honor stay stunt heel, that they did. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I mean... Cole, just the way he winked at Fish just feels like, I don't know, he's trying to pull one on them. So, mm -hmm. I don't know, I'll be, I'll be curious to see where it goes. Well, up next we had Matt Seidel getting his ass kicked by Wardlow for about a minute. Yeah, I mean, this was like literally a two-minute match. Um, uh -huh. I feel bad for Seidel. <laughs> like, he just went like, you know, ten minutes with Punk. And then, you know, mm -hmm. you have Wardlow killing him, basically. Like, this was a glorified squash match. Um, but maybe that was on purpose. Maybe that's something MJF is going to use. Like, that Punk, you know, went the distance pretty much with Seidel. And then, you know, Wardlow just comes in and destroys him right away. I guess they could go that route. But I'm still thinking, like, months back where Seidel was, you know, having matches with Kenny Omega. You know, mm -hmm. like, I, I think about, like how high they seem to be pushing him and then Wardlow just stops well, on him. I'm guessing though that this is all about Wardlow eventually turning face here. Just the way this was kind uh -huh. of booked. The fact that Sean Spears like stopped him from like power bombing him again and made him go for the pin. And the crowd definitely was upset. And I this is another reason I felt bad for Seidel. The crowd was definitely upset that they didn't get to see another power bomb. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then Wardlow pins him and then, you know, Spears destroys him with the chair, like after the fact. So I don't know. It, it definitely feels like after Wardlow's match with Punk, because that's definitely happening, that mm. we will probably see some kind of like baby face turn for Wardlow. Um and that's, I mean, that whole storyline really has been stretched out for over a year now. I mean, yes. MJF has been doing nothing but abusing him. I mean, it feels very much akin to the whole, like, Batista storyline back in the Evolution days. Um, so it, it, it feels like it's following that bull blueprint, at least. I think my real problem with it is I, I still feel like we haven't seen enough of Wardlow. You know, we, we see him sparingly. And I don't know if the crowd is that behind him yet, like they were with like Batista. Um, so I feel like we need to see more matches like this for the crowd to really gotcha. like, you know, get behind him. And so when he does eventually like turn or MGF turns on him, you know, it's a bigger moment. So so you feel like Wardlow will be AEW's version of Batista? Well, I mean, in a roundabout way. Like, this angle is very much mirroring 
the angle, you know, in the past, gotcha. you know, but between, you know, evolution and Batista. So mm-hmm. it feels like they're going that route with him. I mean, it is just a classic storyline where like the flunky finally has enough, you know, dealing with, you know, the boss's bullshit and he eventually makes the big turn. So, I mean, it honestly dates back to, you know, Million Dollar Man and Virgil. I did enjoy like the whole moment with uh, MJF calling Spears on the phone and asking them to go like run an errand for him just to kind of like give a storyline reason on why they weren't there at the end of the night. Um, So I I thought that was well done. You know, that's definitely crossing your T's and dotting your I's because we would definitely be the first to bitch. You know, if, if they oh, didn't yeah. show up and run down. It would just be like Jericho in the inner circle yes. all over again, watching his, you know, almost every other week, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> but anyways, before we got into our next match, we got a special little promo from Malachi Black. Yeah, it was Black talking about the House of Black, uh, whatever that is, um, you know, talking all about human nature and violence Uh you know, we see, you know, some disciples holding what looks to be some kind of, you know, Bible uh, or, you know, whatever, the Necronomicon, whatever the hell it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's some ceremony. Black is like performing some kind of like satanic ritual with some guy like bowing in a robe. He blows his, you know, black mist on him. And then the guy like pukes like black on the sidewalk. Um, and then what does he whisper to the guy, Christian? He says, um, now you've become more than a king. Yes, definitely teasing the debut of Brody King, who's been long rumored to be joining AEW and, you know, joining up with, you know, Black's House of Black. So how do you feel about the faction's name, House of Black? I'm fine with it. It makes yeah. sense. I, I, <laughs> it goes with whatever he's trying to do, I guess. I mean, I love the promo. I, I thought he you know, sounded like he was straight out of a no, horror movie. No, I did so. enjoy the promo. I thought it was well done. It was super cinematic. Um, but I don't know. I don't know about that name. So, and I mean, from day one, he's been kind of pushing the whole House of Black thing. Um, but yeah, I'm just not a big fan. It'll grow on me though. I, I Uh rarely ever like factions names. So I honestly like remember like groaning when, uh, Shawn Michaels and Triple H, like, you know, uh, deemed themselves Degeneration X. Like, oh, that's fucking Uh horrible. That's so cheesy. (laughs) (laughs) And it is still. But, you know, after a while, it just grows on you. You're like, oh, DX, that's cool. Whatever. Um, You know, uh, same thing with Evolution. (laughs) I thought Evolution was horrible, too. So that definitely grew on me. I mean, I didn't like the the Bullet Club name. I was like, oh, okay. What are you, Hunters? What what is this about? (laughs) Uh (laughs) It's in my Bullet Club, honestly. But I don't know. Uh, NWO was fine. A bunch of guys with finger guns yeah, and shit. Yeah, I guess. I, I yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> the logo's cool. The logo sells it. Um, yes. <laughs> NWO was good. Like, I thought NWO, New World Order, was cool. So, okay. but that, yeah, that was pretty much it. I think what really comes down to is, like, nothing tops, like, the Four Horsemen. Like, that's just the perfect, like, stable name. So, mm-hmm. um, it feels like everything else is just a bad, like, copy. No. And I love a good faction, don't get me wrong. But it's it's just hard to name them. Well, all right, we had a match between the woman of a thousand holds, Serena Deeb, and Sheeta. I thought this was a very good match. I felt bad for them because the crowd was completely out of it. They did eventually, like, win them over. Uh, you know, Deeb is fantastic in the ring, and uh, Sheeta's really, like, come, like, into her own. Um, and they work really well together. So I do wish they would have gotten more time. I felt like their first match 
against each other was a little longer, honestly. Um, and I think I liked that match more because of that. Um, so I, I'm hoping that the feud doesn't necessarily end here. Um, but I thought they did a really good job, like telling their story. Like, you know, the, the thing I complained about with like Paige and Brian locking up, they did not do in this match. Like right when yep. the bell rang, <laughs> these two were at each other's throats. So I thought that was great. And that's what you want to see from that kind of like blood feud. I mean, a part of me has been waiting for Sheeta to turn heel. Like, she's had weird heel ten- yes. tendencies in her matches. Yes, uh, before this whole thing, it felt like she was turning heel. And then mm. all of a sudden they did the whole, like, 50-win trophy, and she seemed to be a baby face. It was, it was almost like they were, like, just putting their toe in the water, and then they were like, ah, we don't have anyone for her to work against. And, you know, Deeb and her are great opponents, you know, so why not? It, it just, Sheeta's so over with the crowd, too. It just feels like a waste. So um, fair. I'm glad that we had this kind of feud for the women's division that just didn't like only revolve around the title. Like it was just, mm-hmm. you know, a simple storyline feud, you know, a grudge, um, you know, just classic. I mean, the men's you know, division has it all the time. You know, why not the women's division? And I'm hoping to see more of that from AEW. Deeb's, you know, heel tactics ended up costing her the match. Um, I don't know if they use that as an end to continue this feud. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. I'm kind of hoping so, though. Up next, we got a little backstage moment between Tony Schiavone and the Varsity Blondes with uh, with Griff Garrison claiming that he's going to kill or take out uh, Malachi <laughs> Black, I should say. And uh I doubt yeah. that one. <laughs> it was a decent promo, though. Like, I haven't really heard him on the mic much. Um, he did okay. Uh-huh. Uh, Pillman was trying to, like, talk him down, and they seemed to kind of get into it a little with, you know, with uh, Pillman ending up, like, walking away. Um, you know, and they talked about how Hart wasn't there, and so they're definitely playing that up a little. I'm wondering after Hart took, you know, Black's mist in the face – that, you know, she doesn't end up joining his House of Black. Um, and that's why we haven't, you know, seen her. We kind of talked about that when he first, like, debuted the miss. Like, is that miss, like, corrupting people? Um, mm-hmm. So that seems to be the case after, you know, tonight's little, like, you know, vignette with Black and uh, Brody King. So maybe we'll see a heart heel turn. I mean, maybe she'll even come out during their match uh, and show some signs of indoctrination or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Do we think Pillman might end up joining him? It would be an interesting turn for him, because I don't know how much like more they're going to do with the Varsity Blondes. They don't seem to be in too many tag matches, at least on the main shows, um, ever since. Yeah, I mean, Pillman had that little program with MJF, um, and then Mm -hmm. he kind of just disappeared for a while. And then all of a sudden, like, they pop up and they're, like, you know, third in line for, like, number one contendership somehow (laughs) because they pick up all those wins on Dark and Elevation, which Uh. I can't – like, they need to at least do some kind of, like, video recap for those shows if they're going to, like, you know – I don't know. If they're going to do those rankings and if those matches are going to carry that much weight, I need to see some highlights then, you know, to keep – because I don't notice that bar they put at the bottom. No, no one ever. does. The ticker? Yeah, no one knows, notices that. Yeah. No one pays attention <laughs> to the ticker. Like, if you're pushing, you know, people that hard on Dark and Elevation, 
and you want them to be like moving up their ranks, then you need to at least highlight it and give us like video packages letting us know that, oh, hey, you know, the Varsity Blondes are ranked number three. You know, at least like feature a different tag team or a different competitor every week, you know, who are like in like, you know, the top five to let us know one, you know, that it's happening. And two, like, I don't know, give it some weight, make it seem important because they don't do that enough. You know, like if you want people to care about your rankings, you need to at least highlight them better and, you know, do little video packages about them, you know, just so, like, it's not such a big surprise, you know, to, like, the fans when, you know, the claims show up on Dynamite and they're ranked number one, you know, in the tag team division. Like, mm. I mean, it just, it feels half-assed. Like, it, you know, it doesn't really carry any weight. Like, how am I supposed to care about these rankings if you don't feature them on your show ever? So, like, someone shouldn't just show up randomly and be ranked number one contender. You know, for any of the titles like that should be that exactly. should be something they should be building on every week, you know, so we definitely need more like, you know, I don't know, packages, you know, highlighting what's happening on Dynamite or not Dynamite on, uh, on Dark and Elevation. But yeah, I mean, they have so many tag teams. I think it, they'd be fine breaking up, you know, the Varsity Blondes. Uh, and I don't know, I, I'd be down with, you know, Pillman joining, you know, Black and seeing a different side of his character. I think that'd be a fun way mm. to like kind of push him, uh, you know, give him a little bit of an edge. We'll, we'll have to see. All right. And then we got a quick recap of last week's debut of hook. Yes. Uh, Taz finally sent hook. Um, I, I didn't realize this was such a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that he was like this, like folk hero online. Um, that he had such a big following and like people were collaborating really? for this. <laughs> like it kind of, I don't know. It took me like a bat. It took me back a little. Like I was like, what, what is this? I don't get it. Like, I mean, it, he looked great and everything, but mm-hmm. like, I didn't know people were like collaborating for this. I noticed it the moment, um, he started making little jabs at CM Punk online. And then I kept seeing people say, oh, Punk is afraid of hook. And then I just saw that building and building. I didn't know like there, if there was any like following before I guess then. there was <laughs> like it was a thing um I don't know I don't know I'm like okay cool I mean he throws a mean fucking suplex I mean he's being trained by like I'm sure his dad who's you know one of my favorite wrestlers of all time so I'm excited by that and I mean it was a great debut match I just didn't realize it had such fucking like build up and fanfare <laughs> coming into it. Because I mean, did you online see the, uh... was just like ablaze with hook talk this past week. Uh huh. Did you see the little poster they did for Hook <laughs> with him in the Peter Pan movie Hook poster? No, no, that's AEW did that. Oh yeah, yeah, AEW did that. They put all of Team Taz in oh, that poster. Oh my god. Okay. Were they like the <laughs> like the Lost Boys or something? Yeah. <laughs> um, they have a great social media team. <laughs> I mean, he definitely looked promising, though. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it was exciting, but I, I just didn't realize, like, it was such a big thing. Uh, I'm an old man. I guess I'm out of touch. <laughs> yeah, you know more about Dan Housen than I I know, know right? So. <laughs> <laughs> I just stay off fucking wrestling Twitter because it's so toxic. All right, and then we got a quick promo from Eddie Kingston claiming that you know he's 
done with 2.0 and and Danny Garcia. Um, and he challenged them to a five on five match, a ten man tag match, I should say, uh, where he'll be teaming up with Santina Ortiz, um, the Lucha Brothers, and then 2.0 Daniel Garcia and whoever else they want to bring. Which I can't put my mind on who they might bring at this point. But, I could see like Men of the Year or something, since they were just feuding yeah. with the Inner Circle. So, and they, sure. I mean, they're not doing anything right now, so why not? And I believe they announced that Lambert would be back like this coming week. So yeah. I could definitely yeah. see that happening. They've really booked a lot of like multi-person tag matches though for the next like couple mm. weeks, right? Well, it's crazy to have two big ones on your next episode with the, uh, with an eight man and a tag. Oh, that's right. On the same <laughs> thing. That is crazy. That And that kind of screams to me like we have too big of a roster. That we're trying uh. to cram all that into, like, you know, an hour episode of Rampage. <laughs> I also wonder what that was like for them live, knowing that they recorded that that same night. Yeah. You know, I wonder how the audience, you know, took it after, especially after a big match, like, you know, the um, championship match we got at the start of the show. Yeah, yeah, because, right, that those matches happened right after Dynamite. So, because, the, yeah, they recorded yes. Rampage right after Dynamite this week. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the fans were happy about it. Like, why wouldn't you be? But mm-hmm. it is, that's a lot, you know, to cram in there. Especially knowing that we have a, a trios match happening next week, a big one between, you know, Punk, Darby, and Sting versus uh, FTR and MGF. And speaking of MGF, he is now a three-time AEW what diamond dynamite diamond ring uh winner whatever <laughs> <laughs> i care so little about this fucking yo this match <laughs> and the stupid ring and everything it feels like just a gimmick for uh mjf i really honestly thought like dante martin had a chance of winning it just to kind of get mm-hmm. mjf away from this whole fucking gimmick um but of course if that didn't happen um you know, I guess it gives him like this kind of like built in like brass knuckle spot, you know, this foreign object that he can always use at some point in yeah. you know, one of his matches and one of his feuds. So um, uh, did you like his comments before the match? I thought they're well done um, talking about Punk's promo last week and seeing that it was low hanging fruit. But that was kind of the point of like Punk's promo. Um, it sounds it felt like to me like he was trying to go like toe to toe like tick for tat with mjf last week and at the same time i think we talked oh maybe we didn't talk about because we didn't talk about last week's episode because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're having technical issues uh but yeah I, you know off mic we were talking how like punk had to be heel in that town and only that town so i mean the mm. best way around that is just to kind of like attack the local team i mean did he harp on it a little too much probably but, I mean, it was fucking working, so who can blame him, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with low-hanging fruit if you're, you know, a heel. Um, and if you don't want to, like, turn, like, completely heel to, like, the rest of the world, you know, why not keep on piling on to your, you know, shitty fucking, you know, hockey team? Plus, I mean, hardcore fans all know he's a super big, yes, like, hockey fan. Absolutely. So it, it fits with his character to do absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, and, like, to top that off, he was also attacking, you know, Long Island's character, you know, for backing someone like MJF, too. So it wasn't just uh-huh. all hockey talk. But I did find MJF calling CM Punk the new Ryback fucking uh-huh. hilarious. Because, <laughs> once again, like, with AEW, 
Like, I mean, quality of opponent doesn't seem to matter with their rankings. <laughs> and Punk's like beating some names, but they're all kind of like mid-card to lower mid-card, you know, guys. So, mm. I mean, besides like Darby, of course, and Kingston. And that's why I think that whole Wardlow match was, you know, on purpose to kind of play into like, mm-hmm. you know, this storyline because that Punk, you know, in Seidel, that was someone that, you know, Punk kind of struggled with. And that's why I kind of felt like that whole Wardlow match was kind of playing into like this whole storyline, uh, you know, with, you know, Wardlow destroying Seidel because, you know, Punk, he had a difficult time with him. So it, it it does make sense, you know, and it feels like something that MJF is going to use to set up a match between Wardlow and Punk. MJF in this match in general uh, still proved that he could hang with pretty much any wrestler. I mean. Dante's style can sometimes I feel like be overwhelming. I can imagine like someone like Punk not as we saw with what was what's his name Lee Moriarty mm-hmm. or or whatever just like not being able to handle Dante's like high paced style. Whereas MJF you know had a clean match with him. Yes, yes, absolutely. I thought it was a good match. Um, I thought they were telling a pretty good story with you know Dante like trying to hit his finisher over and over again, mm-hmm. uh, MJF getting out of the way. Um, I I did feel like the finish was a little flat, um, and I don't know if it was just a timing issue. Um, you know when Dante finally hits his finisher, the crowd doesn't really like react at all to it Mm -hmm. um and i don't know maybe he just hasn't established that move enough as his finisher but i'm wondering if like ricky stark showing up you know in that moment kind of like took the crowd's like attention away from the match you know because starks is right there to put mjf's foot on the rope i could see that causing them especially if they're watching him slowly approach or anything like that Because I don't know where he was no. if he was like and the camera, or what. the camera work was fantastic because you don't see him until mm-hmm. that moment. You know, so, you know, I think the home audience got like, you know, the best of that moment. But I think it might have taken the crowd kind of out of it a little. But I think it might have like taken the crowd a little out of it, unfortunately. So then FDR show up uh, to help celebrate with MGF. And of course, you know, to the to this May of poor dante there um and then the lights go out (laughs) that's right and uh the crowd start buzzing it takes forever for them to go back on and honestly i thought we were gonna get some like Uh big debut uh (laughs) but that wasn't the case it was sting and darby allen uh, attacking ftr and mjf uh last week they were attacked by ftr in the back so this was kind of payback but yeah, then the numbers catch up to them with MJF getting back in the ring. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Cult of Personality is queued up. Punk comes running down to a huge fucking pop, and he clears the ring of the heels. At first, with the light going off, I thought, especially with how long it was taking, maybe CM Punk was going to show up with, with like, MJF or one of them in the go to sleep. Got you. Like I said, I was expecting some debut because Tony Khan's been doing interviews all week, kind of talking about how there's some free agents about to arrive. Um, he, in all fairness, he didn't say, oh, at Winter's coming. He kind of mentioned, you know, the, the next like couple weeks of shows. So, and, you know, we saw tonight, obviously, Brody King's on his way. Um, and maybe, perhaps, you know, Kyle O'Reilly. Uh, but yeah, I was still expecting, I don't know, something bigger when the lights went out. But Well, you weren't alone because Bray Wyatt was tr- trending all day long uh-huh. 
throughout social media. So I was like, people are excited for this. I don't think he's coming just yet. Or at all. I don't know. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. like real signs either way if he's coming or not. I know he's supposed to be shooting a movie right now or something. Um, so, I mean, the jury's still out on that. Uh, but uh, last week, speaking of which, they did something during one of the matches. I can't remember what match where the lights did flash. So a lot of people were kind of picking up on that and were saying, like, is that a, a clue that, you know, why it might be coming? Because I think it, it flashes and it flashes like red for a second also. Hmm. And you, and Which you, I, I would... you know, my skin crawled when I saw the red lights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. you don't want that to follow no, him to Jesus other companies Christ, for no. love of God. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, regardless of expectations, like I thought this was still a great way to end the show. And I thought hmm. it like furthered this feud between Punk and MGF well, uh, while setting up a new feud between, you know, FTR and uh, Sting and Darby. Uh, this past weekend, FTR showed up on the uh, final battle Ring of Honor show uh, and attacked uh the briscoes so i wouldn't be surprised if they don't make an appearance on AEW since there is no like ring of honor now you know at least till april Mm -hmm. to kind of like pay that off in um so it just it feels like a shoe-in that we'll get some kind of feud between the two teams you know on AEW tv i mean they're great tag team wrestlers so whoever they're in a match with i'd be excited no absolutely absolutely so and i mean FTR and the Briscoe Brothers is kind of a fucking dream match, so exactly. you know, why not? But anyway, again, great wrestling event that we got from AEW. I mean, I, I'm sure you will agree. Oh, 100%. 100%. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Brian and Paige's match make a lot of people's, like, match of the year, like, you know, top 10 list. Absolutely. I mean, AEW alone, I think, is going to dominate most of this year's uh, wrestling countdown for us. So, I mean. Part of the reason is we just haven't seen much New Japan exactly. either, you know. Not that it's not well mm. earned for AEW because I mean every week we're getting like a four or five star match so well that does it for this week that's right and as a friendly reminder if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform remember to subscribe rate and give us a five star review exactly it sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow and while you're at it make sure to tell a friend plus if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode make sure to check us out on facebook instagram and twitter to catch the full articles trailers memes and more that's right you can follow us at amazing nerd show on all social media platforms And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, Christian, next week will be our Christmas extravaganza as we finally get to review Spider-Man No Way Home and also break down the final episode of Hawkeye. I'm excited. I've been watching all seven Spider-Man movies. So let's let's see how this one comes out. <laughs> Even Spider-Man 3. Yes, I watched it um, yesterday, two days ago. You're nuts, man. <laughs> you could fucking pay me to watch Spider-Man 3. <laughs> really? It's oh, got so much memes. No, it's so fun. it's horrible. <laughs> it's, oh my God. Like, I mean, I honestly, like, went into that movie with high expectations. I was excited for that movie, especially after part two, because part two is fantastic. 
Uh, but three, holy shit. You could tell, like, Raimi was just, like, phoning it in. So, I mean, I know Venom was, like, forced on him, that whole storyline, but god damn, man. Oh, Jesus Christ. Emo peed and everything. I know it makes for great memes, but it's it just wasn't worth but it. But, man, I forgot just how bad the relationship between Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man and Emma Stone's Gwen was in the first Amazing Spider-Man. Like, their relationship, like, they don't go, they don't go on any dates. Nothing really forms. They're just kind of stammering around each other. Then he, some reason, is at her, her dad, her house, her family house. And then she, he argues with the dad, and then she just starts making out with him on the balcony, and that's the formation of the relationship. There's no, there's, there's no chemistry there, man. Throughout the entire movie, I'm telling you. I don't know, man. Like I, the, her death and everything. The I don't second know. I movie just, is I way better. Felt like there was more emotion, uh -huh. like behind the relationship, at least. <laughs> Um, I don't know if it's because they were actually, like, dating at the time. Probably. Uh, but although, I think, isn't Toby and Kristen Dunst, like, dating? Yeah, they were dating up till the third movie. Or they were, right? Yeah. I don't know. The way they, like, left those two, too, in the third film, like, because they're not together, right, at the third, at the end of the third film, right? They, they embrace, and that's how the movie ends. Oh, uh, okay. 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 It's been a long time since I've seen the uh -huh. third film, so you could have paid me to watch that movie <laughs> right now. So. But anyway, here's to hoping that, you know, No Way Home is nothing like Spider-Man 3. Yes, yeah, so let's break the too many villains curse. That does it for this week. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Ah! Oh, thanks, Spider-Man. Everybody gets one.